This program has been approved for one AMA PRA Category 1 credit. This webcast has also been approved for ABIM Maintenance of Certification, MOC points, through the partnership between the ACCME and the ABIM. The following continuing medical education activity is the property of the Ohio State University. Duplication is prohibited by law. The Ohio State University is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, also known as ACCME. OSU Center for Continuing Medical Education designates this CME activity for a maximum of one AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Each physician should claim only those credits that are actually spent on this CME activity. In keeping with the essential standards of the ACCME, planning committee members and participating faculty have been asked to disclose any relationship with commercial entities, discussion of commercial products, services, or unapproved off-label usage of commercial products or devices. Specific disclosure information can be obtained by contacting the Center for Continuing Medical Education at ccme.osu.edu. The information presented in this CME activity is meant for educational purposes only. Physicians' own judgment must remain central in the selection of the therapy options for their patients' specific medical conditions. The following is supported in part by the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center and Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital and Solov Research Institute. Advances in Migraine and Other Headache Syndromes. That's today's presentation with the following distinguished faculty from the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center and Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital and Solov Research Institute. And now, our medical editor and moderator, Dr. Jing Jing Mao. Headaches are a common ailment, with 37 million people affected by migraines or other headache syndromes. Headaches have long been documented, with the ancient Egyptians describing painful headaches in the Ebers Papyrus dating back to 1500 BCE. In the second century, Eretaeus of Cappadocia described unilateral headaches associated with vomiting that are now called migraines. Through the eras, a variety of barbaric treatments have been proposed and tried to treat this persistent pain. Trepanation, for example, <clears throat> or deliberately drilling holes into the skull to let out evil spirits was one such treatment. Famed Arabic physician and surgeon Abu al-Qasim of the 10th century suggested treating intractable migraines by applying a hot iron to the skull. Needless to say, these treatments were not very beneficial. Luckily, we do have a variety of newer treatments that are effective for both migraines and other primary headache syndromes. Just within the past few years, there have been several new agents approved by the FDA for both migraine prevention and acute migraine treatment. Today on MedNet 21, I've invited two of Ohio State University's neurology experts to review migraines and other common primary headache syndromes and discuss their treatment options, including these new agents. I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Anna Verdesia and Dr. Kevin Weber. Anna and Kevin are both fellowship trained in headache medicine, and Kevin also serves as the division director of headache medicine at OSU. Anna, Kevin, welcome to MedNet. Thank you. Thanks for, Thanks having, for us. having us. Anna, once you diagnose someone with migraines, 
are they then plagued with migraines for the rest of their lives or can you expect the frequency to vary throughout their lifetime? Yes. Um, so although migraine is a chronic uh, complex neurologic condition with no cure at the moment, mm -hmm. frequency can vary throughout a person's life. Um, there are many, or a, a person can even um, reach remission. Mm -hmm. uh, there are many contributing factors that can influence uh, this, including gender. Uh, migraine is more common in women of childbearing age. Mm -hmm. um, other comorbid conditions such as mood disorders, neck problems, response to treatment, genetic predisposition. So it can vary from individual to individual. Okay. And Kevin, how common are other headache syndromes compared to migraines? Some of them are more common than others. Uh, tension type headache, for instance, is very, very common. In some cases, more common, uh, depending on the study, more common than migraine, uh, very common in the population and others such as cluster headache and other similar syndromes can be more rare, but they also can be very severe and, and must be addressed mm. in patients. Perfect, I can't wait to hear more, thank you. Now, if you haven't already, please check out our website at go.osu.edu slash mednet21. You can find all 120 of our webcasts there, along with the slides and instructions to receive your CME credit and ABIM MOC points. You can also listen to our programs by podcast. Search for OSU MedNet 21 on your podcast app. If you have any questions about the program, please send those to us using the Ask a Question feature on the bottom of the webcast. Now let's get started. Anna? Thank you. So I'll be discussing diagnosis and management of migraine. I don't have any disclosures other than I'll be discussing off-label treatments for migraine. Some of the objectives for the, this lecture include the, um, being familiar with the diagnostic criteria for migraine, brief overview of the pharmacologic treatments and for acute and prevention of migraine that we have available today, and a brief overview of non-pharmacological treatments as well. So as introduction, as we had discussed before, migraine is not just a bad headache, but a very complex neurobiologic, neurological disorder that has no cure. Um, we think uh, the thought today is that there are outside triggers, uh, environmental factors, genetic predisposition that cause dysregulation in the brain cortex and brainstem resulting in recurrent attacks of headaches with other associated symptoms. Migraine is more common in women, but it's a very common disorder, uh, estimated to be the second most disabling condition worldwide. About one or two percentage of the global population suffers from chronic migraine. So how do we diagnose migraine? We diagnosed all headache disorder using the International Classification of Headache Disorders, or the ICHD3. Uh, the ICHD3 classifies migraine in different categories. The two big ones are migraine with, without aura and migraine with aura. To uh, meet criteria for migraine without aura, you need at least five attacks during your lifetime meeting the following criteria. Uh, a headache that lasts from four hours to 72 hours with um, untreated or unsuccessfully treated, 
Now, um, a caveat here is that in adolescents and children, migraine attacks can be shorter than this, as short as two hours long. Then we have different characteristics for the headache itself. The headache needs to meet two of these four characteristics. A note here is that none of these characteristics need, needs to be present strictly, uh, uh, only this characteristic needs to be present as long as you have two of these four, including unilateral location, pulsating quality, moderate to severe pain intensity, and worsening with physical activity. And last, you need at least one of these two associated symptoms, such as nausea um, and or vomiting. We also include anorexia in this category, which is uh, lack of appetite during an attack, or photophobia and phonophobia. Note that photophobia and phonophobia need to be present together for it to be count as one uh, point. The other big uh, um, classification is migraine with aura. For migraine with aura, you need to meet criteria for migraine um, as we discussed before. And on top of that, you need at least two attacks in your lifetime with the following neurologic symptoms. That includes one of the six um, reversible neurologic symptoms that include visual, sensory, speech, motor, brainstem, or retinal. Sensory, the most common aura symptoms are visual, sensory, and speech. Those are considered typical aura. If someone has motor aura, that's considered hemiplegic migraine. And for brainstem symptoms such as ataxia, uh, um, dizziness, double vision, that would be um, migraine with brainstem aura. This was called uh, basilar migraine in the past. And on top of that, you need at least two of these four characteristics for the aura itself. Uh, typical aura should uh, spread gradually over more than five minutes. So a lot of patients would say, I see flashing lights and they're just a couple of seconds long. That's not, th that's not characteristic for an aura. Each individual aura uh, should last from five minutes to 60 minutes. At least one needs to be, should be unilateral. And the aura for the most part should be accompanied by a headache. Now this is not necessary, same as migraine without aura, as the, at least if you have at least two of these four characteristics, then you meet criteria. The other uh, classification of migraine um, that the ICHD3 has is um, chronicity. So chronic migraine is a migraine is um, headaches. Um, chronic migraine refers to the amount of headache days that a person has uh, in a period of three months, not how long they've had the migraine diagnosis. So chronic migraine is defined as any. Uh, type of headache that happens more than 15 days, 15 or more uh, days for three months. Uh, know that these headaches could be little headaches, could be uh, tension type headaches, and at least eight days of migraine. Uh, these eight days need to meet criteria for migraine as we had discussed before. So how do we treat migraine? Overall, we have two types of treatment for migraine that we use simultaneously in our patients. One is acute treatment and the other one is prevention treatment. Um, 
we will start with acute treatment of migraine. So who is a candidate for acute treatment? Everyone. So any patient who's had a migraine attack or is a probable migraine, then uh, is a candidate to try a rescue treatment. Rescue treatments are divided in different categories. We have the non-specific therapy, including Tylenol, acetaminophen, NSAIDs, including prescription NSAIDs such as indomethacine, diclofenac, and then we have the combination analgesics, such as Excedrin, uh, which is a combination of um, acetaminophen, caffeine, aspirin, and Furyset, which is a butalbital-containing compound. Now, for the combination analgesics, we try to stay away from those because they're high, high risk for medication overuse headache. We also offer antiemetics, uh, such as uh, Compazine, Reglam, Promethazine, um, Phenergan. A, a note to consider is the route of the treatment that we are offering the patient. If someone has a lot of nausea and vomiting and can't keep anything down during a migraine attack, we prefer IV medications or non-oral um, uh, medications such as nasal sprays, etc. When someone is in status migranosis, which is um, a migraine attack that's lasting more than three days, we offer things like steroid tapers, valproic acid tapers, and IV cocktails. There's a combination of medications that we can use in our um, IV cocktails, including um, IV valproic acids, IV magnesium, Toradol, um, Robaxin, which is a muscle relaxant, and a steroid dexamethasone. So what about treatment at home or ongoing treatment, right? Besides the treatment that we can offer on someone who comes to their urgent care, the ED, we always send patients with some, something that they can take at home. Most of our patients, by the time they get to us, they've tried over-the-counter analgesics and sometimes they fail them or are overusing them. So uh, besides starting them on a prophylactic treatment, we offer uh, other prescription rescue medications. The triptans have been around for a long time. Um, they are 5-HT1B and D agonist. There are a few contraindications that we'll discuss later with triptans, but overall um, should be considered first-line migraine rescue for home use. They're divided in um, how long acting they are. Um, the longer acting triptans are frovatriptan, zomeg, and neratriptan. Uh, frovatriptan and neratriptan are used for mini prophylaxis as well. Um, the neratriptan, longer acting triptans tend to have less side effects. Um, Almotriptan is one that has less side effects as well. The shorter acting triptans are sumatriptan. Uh, sumatriptan comes in different um, formulations such as a nasal spray, uh, an injection. It can be used uh, for cluster headache as well. And um, risatriptan comes in a dissolvable tablet. So um, if your patient can uh, swallow a pill in case of a children, uh, risatriptan is offered for kids too, so it's a good choice. And then we have the ergots, or um, the most commonly used is DHE, which can be given as acute rescue as an IV infusion, and there is um, a subcutaneous nasal spray 
for home use as well. So um, the problem with triptans um, in general is that they can be vasoconstricting. So they are contraindicated in patients with uh, cardiovascular risk factors such as CAD, uncontrolled hypertension, and history of stroke. Thankfully, since 2020, we have a new class of medication for rescue called DTAN. We have one medication under this class, it's called Lasmid-DTAN or Rayval. So Rayval is very similar to a tryptan, but does not cause vasoconstriction. It's a selective 5-HT1F receptor agonist. Uh, it's a medication that comes in three different um, doses, 50, 100, 200. The issue that we have with this medication is that during the studies, sedation was uh, one of the side effects that was seen. So it's a Schedule 5 controlled substance due to sedation, and it has a, no driving restriction for eight hours after the use of um, Rayval. So this can be um, a barrier for our um, patients who are working and drive on a regular basis. And the other new class of rescue medications that we have today are the GPANs or the CGRP receptor antagonists. So CGRP um, is a, a peptide uh, that plays an important role in migraine um, pathophysiology. We have um, a, a whole new class of CGRP inhibitors that really have changed the way we treat migraine in the last few years. For rescue treatment, we have three GPANs. The first one you see here is Remegipant um, or Nertec. Nertec is unique in the sense that it's been approved for both rescue and prophylaxis of episodic migraine. Um, this is migraine, this is less than 15 headache days per month, less than eight migraine days per month. Um, the dose for Nertec is 75 milligrams. It's a dissolving tablet, only one uh, per day. Side, common side effects are GI upset, uh, nausea. We don't see a lot of sedation with these with this medication. The next one is uh, Ubrogepant or Ubrelvi. Ubrelvi is very similar to Nertec, uh, only approved for the rescue for acute treatment of migraine. It does come in two doses, so, so, so it, it's nice. These medications interact with some other medications such as Coreg and Verapamil. We'll talk about that in, in another slide. So this medication can be adjusted uh, uh, for the drug-to-drug -drug interaction, we see a little more of drowsiness with Ubrelvi. And the newest GPAD that we have just came out about um, just a few months ago is called uh, Savagepant or Saspret, and is the only nasal spray um, CGRP inhibitor that we have at this point. It comes in one fixed dose of 10 milligrams, one spray per, uh, per nostril. So as we mentioned before, when choosing a, an acute therapy for a patient, we have to take into consideration the comorbidities that patient might have and contraindications to certain acute treatments. For NSAIDs, uh, 
cardiovascular comorbidities, uh, history of heart attack, GI issues, uh, renal disease must be considered. For the triptans and the ergotamines would be history of stroke, CAD, hemiplegic migraine, and brainstem aura are theoretical contraindications. We really don't think it will be, um, it, it's actually dangerous, but technically contraindicated. Um, uncontrolled hypertension as well. For the detents like Ravel, um, the the driving restriction for eight hours that we we mentioned before. So if a patient works or drives, it's contraindicated. Um, and for the G pens, there's an interaction with the use of the CYP3A4 system. So medications such as Corex, Verapamil. Um, you need to adjust the dose of the G-band. In the case of Urelvi, you do the 50 milligram dosing instead of the 100. In the case of Nertec, you would do 48 hour, um, one dose um, every 48 hours instead of every 24 hours. And none of the CGRP inhibitors such as G-bands are currently recommended during pregnancy due to lack of uh, safety data. So what about prophylactic treatment? Who is a good candidate for prophylactic treatment? We have this, uh, as a general rule, we say that if a patient is having four or more migraine days per month, you should discuss prophylactic treatment of some sort. However, if the headache is very debilitating, you can consider it at any time. Uh, a lot of patients are concerned about starting a prescription medication, especially if this medication is an antidepressant or anti-seizure medication. So we should always uh, offer supplements as, uh, or natural um, alternatives as a starting point. And lifestyle modifications are always important. So discussing um, this with the patients early on is very important. So traditionally, we use, we've used different classes of medications uh, for the prevention of migraine. There are may, three main classes that we used for many years before we had all of these newer therapies. And those include uh, the anti-epileptic drugs, um, such as uh, alproic acids, uh, topiramates, and gabapentin. We have the antidepressants. Uh, in the antidepressant group, we use the TCAs and SNRIs. In the beta blockers, um, we use other antihypertensive drugs with different levels of evidence I will discuss in a little bit. Uh, neurotoxins, such as Botox, and the newer now uh, CGRP inhibitors. Um, as we discussed, uh, I was mentioning before, supplements and natural options are always, um, uh, there's many of them have good evidence for migraine prevention, and that includes magnesium, vitamin B2, uh, B2 should be B2, <laughs> riboflavin, feverfew, coenzyme Q10, and uh, melatonin. <coughs> so, not not all um, of the, not all prophylactic agents have the same level of evidence. Um, they're divided in how um, effective they were during the studies. The level A um, treatments include valproic acid and Topamax for anti-seizures, metoprolol, propranolol, and timolol. Um, 
for the beta blockers and Botox. Level B would be the antidepressants and um, amitriptyline and Belner vaccine are the ones that were studied. Level C include candesartan, which is an antihypertensive, lisinopril, cyproheptidine, and then there is level U, which really not, um, we use it for um, uh, many uh, other uh, conditions. In the case of verapamil, we use it for a migraine with aura, when someone has predominant auras, it's used for cl uh, cluster headache. Gabapentin is great for uh, neuralgias and um, as an add-on, but not really um, great evidence for first-line prophylaxis prophylaxis of migraine. Now, in this other category, there are other medications that have good evidence or that we substitute uh, because they're on the same class and they have a better uh, side effect profile. Memantine has good evidence that uh, for <coughs> prophylaxis is very safe during pregnancy, low pro uh, side effect profile. Duloxetine and uh, um, venlafaxine sometimes we use instead of venlafaxine. Nortriptyline in place of amitriptyline. Um, Pregabalin and Kepra, not so much for migraine. So how do we choose the right treatment for a patient? The most important thing is to consider the patient's comorbidities, such as um, hypotension, um, uh, history, uh, cardiovascular risk factors, um, if the patient uh, is planning a, a pregnancy, because we, um, considering these uh, comorbidities, we uh, try to avoid certain medications, but also treat comorbidities with uh, the medications that we choose for the patients. Uh, with a patient with hypotension, um, we don't want to do anything that can potentially lower their blood pressure. Uh, Topamax um, and zonezamide are contraindicated with a history of kidney stone. Um, and glaucoma, um, TCAs are not recommended with glaucoma as well. A lot of these medications are not compatible with pregnancy, including valproic acid, Topamax, uh, candesartan, and any of the newer CGRP therapies. So uh, what can we treat? How can we help uh, these patients' comorbidities using one of uh, some of these treatments that we have for migraine? If a patient has prominent insomnia, we can think about a TCA, which is a medication that helps the patient sleep at nighttime. If there is uh, comorbid anxiety, we can do beta blockers or an SNRI or depression and SNRI. Hypertension will uh, try for a beta blocker or um, candesartan. Uh, for a patient with obesity, consider uh, Topamax, which causes weight loss, and when a patient complains of uh, frequent aura, or aura is one of the prominent features of their migraine, there are other medications that we use and very effective, including verapamil, memantine, lamotrigine, um, Topamax, and valproic acid. So, um, I'll make a quick note uh, about um, the in before we proceed about how to get up, how to get um, a patient to try one of the most effective and the newer treatments that we have today. After a patient has tried at least two uh, to three classes uh, of the uh, medications that we just discussed, most insurance would approve 
um, some of these other more expensive therapies, including Botox treatments and uh, the CGRP inhibitors. Obviously, if a patient has uh, an obvious contraindication, that can also be documented, and that would be an indication to go for one of these uh, newer therapies or more expensive therapies. So who's a candidate for Botox? So Botox is only approved for chronic migraine. It was actually FDA approved back in 2010, so it has been around for a long time. It's a very effective therapy, it's pretty safe. It's uh, safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, we use 155 units every three months. So it's a treatment that is convenient for patients uh, because it's not a pill that they have to take every day. We use uh, something called a preempt protocol, which is standard protocol um, regarding the locations where we put the injections. That includes the forehead, the temples, around the head and the shoulders. It can add benefit to patients with a lot of uh, neck, hypertonicity, neck pain, etc. And then we have the CGRP monoclonal antibodies. So CGRP, the first one came out um, about five years ago. And now we have four monoclonal antibodies that uh, block this peptide, uh, CGRP or calcitonin gene-related peptide. The four monoclonal antibodies are erenumab or amovec, galcanezumab, emgalidiv, fromenezumab, ajov, or eptinezumab or viepti. Um, all of them are in monthly injections except for viepti. Viepti is the only infusion. It's done once every three months. It's usually um, approved once you've tried at least a couple of the other shots and you felt the other um, traditional therapies. Amovec is the only one that's uh, an, um, an, an antibody to the, the receptor. All the other ones target the ligand. Amovec is also the one that has other side effects that we see more, um, such as constipation and hypertension. Emgalidi, um, um, I'm sorry, but Amovec also comes in two doses, 70 milligrams and 140 milligrams. Emgalid is also approved for cluster headache. Ajovi has the option to be given once every three months, which could be convenient for patients who don't want to uh, give a shot, uh, uh, take a shot every single month. So, and then we have the G-Pants. Uh, we talked about G-Pants when we were discussing acute therapy. Um, if you remember, those were Nerta, Gibralvi, and the new Savagepans. Uh, there's one more G-Pan, it's called Atogepan or Culipta, and it's the only G-Pan that is a daily uh, medication for prevention of both chronic and episodic migraine. This was recently approved for both chronic and episodic migraine. Um, pretty safe. Uh, the most common side effects are nausea, constipation, fatigue, I would say constipation is the one that we see the most. It does, does come in three different doses, so you can adjust the dose uh, accordingly. Also has a CYP3A4 inhibitor um, interaction, and you can adjust the dose to 10 milligrams daily. We should always avoid in patients with severe hepatic impairment. Again, uh, this medication is the newest therapy that we have. Might not be so easy to cover, but if the patient has tried a few of the other treatments, the, the other classes, you should always consider. 
And then that kind of concludes all the pharmacologic treatments that we have of today for migraine prevention. And briefly, I will discuss a couple of the non-pharmacologic therapies that we have, including neuromodulation and some other behavioral and lifestyle modifications that we do for the migraine treatment. So in terms of neuromodulation, we have four um, approved devices um, uh, for, uh, they vary in what, what, what they do. Some of them are for both prevention and acute therapy. Some of them just for acute therapy. I would say that the main limiting factor for these, for these devices is the cost. A lot of insurance companies do not pay for these devices, but it's always good to consider and it's an option that patients have out there. So first we have Nerevio. Nerevio is a remote electrical stimulation. It goes on your arm. Uh, it's approved for the rescue of migraine and it's approved down to the age of 12 years old. So it can be considered in children as well. Um, then we have the non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation. The device is called GammaCore. It's placed over the neck uh, just a few minutes and it's also approved for rescue and prevention. prevention. We have a supraorbital nerve stimulation called Cephaly, uh, also approved for both prevention and rescue. It's a device that's placed above the forehead. This is the one that you, uh, patients don't need a prescription for. They can just go online and purchase it from the internet. Um, and then lastly, the newest one we have just approved is a combined supraorbital and occipital stimulation called Relivian, um, also approved for acute therapy. Lastly, we have other treatments that uh, have really great evidence for migraine prevention, and those include biofeedback, um, relaxation techniques, cognitive behavioral therapy. If a patient has a cervicogenic component, cervical physical therapy is always a good thing. There is some evidence that acupuncture treatments could be beneficial. Uh, especially if, if a patient is concerned about taking medications, uh, you should always offer those non-pharmacological treatments as well. And to summarize, uh, just want to say that lifestyle is very important. There are many triggers that can contribute to the frequency uh, of migraine. That includes uh, caffeine. Caffeine is not necessarily bad, but we recommend a steady intake of caffeine to avoid fluctuations, good hydration, exercise, sleep, regular meals, uh, treating other com comorbidities such as mood disorders. And for many patients, it's very beneficial to see a specialist as soon as they can. Um, chronic migraine can be very difficult to treat, so going to a multidisciplinary clinic can really improve the outcome. Thank you so much, Anna. <clears throat> you went through a lot of great treatments, and it's really nice to hear that there are so many updates and new treatments out there available now for migraines that people have additional options from just the triptans. <clears throat> now, one thing that you said I thought was really striking is that migraines are extremely debilitating and that they're the second most common reason for disability. And related to that, I'm a PCP, so I frequently am asked to complete family medical leave forms for migraines. Do you have any best practices on how best to help patients, you know, keep their jobs and things like that, but still get relief from their migraines? Yeah. So I agree, migraine can be very debilitating, can reduce a patient's productivity at work. Um, 
we want our patients to be as functional as they can and continue working as long as they can. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that's not possible, but we our goal is to get them back to what their lives um, used to be. So we uh, keep trying new treatments, working with the patients closely to achieve that. Um, as a general rule in our practice, we don't recommend typically um, long-term disability, but we frequently do FMLA. We actually, we offer it to all our patients if needed intermittent FMLA that give, gives patients a few days off a month where they can um, uh, stay home. Also, we write for accommodations, including um, working from home, lightning, um, um, if, if the patient has a lot of light sensitivity at work, they work on the computer, special screens, um, reduce workload, uh, if they have to lift heavy things, break, uh, frequent breaks, mm -hmm. um, um, et cetera. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> now for the second half of our program, Kevin will discuss other primary headache syndromes. Kevin? Hi there. So uh, today I'll be discussing other headache syndromes. Um, some of my disclosures, I do receive research funding through Lundbeck, which that was a cluster headache study, which we'll be discussing in my talk. Uh, and Lilly, which uh, does make galcanizumab, which is one of the treatments uh, that we'll be discussing in our talk, although the study was not related to cluster headache. Um, our division also receives fellowship funding through AbbVie, which uh, that is unrelated to um, anything that I'll be discussing today. Um, we will be talking about a lot of off-label uses for medications. There are very few, actually. There's just one FDA-approved medication for any of the headache disorders that I'll be discussing today. So tension-type headache is actually really common. Uh, depending on the study, it uh, can even be more common than migraine. About 30 to 78% of the population has tension-type headache. Uh, these headaches can last 30 minutes to seven days long typically bilateral, band-like, pressure around the head, mild to moderate pain, and devoid of migraine features like photo and phonophobia and nausea or nausea and vomiting. Uh, we treat these types of headaches with NSAIDs, over-the-counter medications, muscle relaxers, and if, if they're really debilitating or they're um, particularly bothersome, we can use prophylaxis with uh, off-label with amitriptyline and, and topiramate. Again, if you, if you those sound familiar that you're not uh, not wrong those are, are also migraine prophylaxis treatments that Dr. Vedecchia discussed. Uh, we'll be next I'll talk about trigeminal autonomic cephalgus. so there are a number of these uh, there's cluster headache including chronic and episodic uh, paroxysmal hemicrania and hemicrania continua which are often lumped together which we'll talk about why in a second and then this is a long off the tongue here, but short unilateral neuralgia form headaches with conjunctival injection and tearing or short unilateral neuralgia form headaches with other autonomic features. Uh, much easier to say their abbreviations, which is SUNCT and SUNA. Um, SUNCT is within the broader category of SUNA, um, although SUNCT is the one that most people are familiar with, um, but there are other similar types of headaches, but with other autonomic features other than conjunctival injection and tearing. So I'm going to start with a case. Uh, we have a 53-year-old male comes to you in your office, your primary care, uh, presents to you, has seen two neurologists before. Uh, every few months he'll get four to ten weeks of just severe daily headaches, sometimes multiple times per day. Then they disappear for sometimes months at a time uh, where he has no headaches. 
his tap his attacks are are on the one side of his head that he has a headache. He, he will also get conjunctival injection, tearing, rhinorrhea, um, some eyelid drupertosis. Each attack lasts about 20 minutes. Um, usually, when he's in these cycles, it, it wakes him up at about 3 a.m. Uh, severe pain. Uh, he wants to pace. He's thought about slamming his hand into a drawer during the attacks or banging his head against the wall to distract from it. And alcohol worsens his symptoms. He can't even smell it or be around anyone drinking alcohol when he's having these, these cycles because it can precipitate an attack. Other history. Um, there's no family history of this. His, his mother had migraine attacks that were nothing like this. Uh, he says that he is a smoke, current smoker. He's a contractor. His exam's completely normal. He doesn't think he's had an MRI before. He said some other doctors gave him amitriptyline and, and sumatriptan. Uh, and they didn't help. Uh, what's the differential? What's the diagnostic workup? So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about the different types of trigeminal autonomic cephalgists and their definitions by that uh, ICHD3 criteria. So cluster headache, uh, you need to have at least five attacks. They're severe or very severe. Um, and I want to emphasize severe. There have been people who have, it's been so severe that they've uh, died by suicide due to these attacks. Um, they're that severe. They're typically worse than migraine. Um, they are around the orbit, typically around the eye, um, 15 to 180 minutes long when untreated. Um, they can have autonomic features, uh, or they should have autonomic features like conjunctival injection, tearing, uh, nasal congestion or rhinorrhea, usually on that side, uh, eyelid edema or eyelid droop, like ptosis. Uh, and then people can get forehead and facial sweating too. Uh, they also can have uh, a sense of restlessness or agitation, and they can occur between one every other day all the way up to eight attacks per day. Chronic cluster is the same thing, except for it means that they don't have a remission period um, where they have remissions, or they do have remissions that are less than three uh, months long, and at least for a year. Paroxysmal hemicrania is at least 20 attacks. These are a little bit more frequent and shorter, um, and they are, again, severe unilateral pain. Uh, these last two to 30 minutes, and again, with the associated autonomic features we just discussed with cluster headache. Typically, these occur at least five per day. Um, and the most important thing is number five on here, and that it has, it's diagnostic, the, the diagnosis is, is also, the treatment is involved with the diagnosis. So the treatment for these types of headaches is indomethacin. Uh, so to diagnose this disorder, technically you need to prevent them absolutely by therapeutic doses of indomethacin. Hemicrania continua is very similar except for it's continuous, um, but again must respond absolutely to indomethacin. Um, they will have continuous headache uh, along with exacerbations of moderate or greater intensity, intensity in between and they will have autonomic features typically during those exacerbations. Sunctosuna, which we discussed, is again at least 20 attacks. Again, always unilateral pain. And you'll notice that's a recurring theme with the trigeminal autonomic cephalgias. They always are unilateral. Um, if it's bilateral, you should question the diagnosis, um, as that's very rare. Um, very severe pain or moderate to severe pain uh, these are even shorter. They can last one to six hundred seconds, um, which is you know the most that they let would last then would be ten minutes. Um, typically, it's much shorter than that. It's seconds long. 
ipsilateral autonomic features that we mentioned before, um, and they must occur at least once per day. So this case, this is a, an interesting drawing that someone uh, made of their cluster headache. This is on Wikipedia. It's kind of a famous drawing in the headache world. Um, and you can see the devil here reaching into this uh, gentle, gentleman's poor eye socket. Um, and that's what people describe as this feeling like. Um, they'll also describe it as a, a hot coal going through their eye socket um, in the case of uh, cluster headaches. Um, in this case of our patient, though, a cluster headache was what we were thinking, but it also could be proxysmal hemicrania. And why is that? It's because the length was 20 minutes for the attacks, which fits into either paroxysmal hemicrania or cluster headache, depending on the definition. Um, why likely cluster? Um, for one, men are more likely to get cluster headache than, than the other trigeminal autonomic cephalgias. Um, the smoking history is a, is a telltale sign that having the um, circadian attack at night is another sign of cluster headache, the pacing with attacks. Um, but this person still could, paroxysmal hemicrania is certainly on the definition and it wouldn't be unreasonable to try an indomethacin challenge or what we say, which is a treatment of indomethacin at escalating doses for several weeks to diagnose paroxysmal hemicrania or hemicrania continua. Um, there was a cluster headache survey done a few years ago um, and it was quite sad. Um, only about 21% of patients got an initial, uh, correct diagnosis at their initial presentation and almost half, 42% took greater than five years to get an accurate diagnosis. Uh, the most common incorrect diagnosis was migraine. And although there isn't a lot of overlap in treatment, which we'll discuss in a second, uh, there are some unique treatments to cluster headache uh, versus migraine treatment. So again, this is uh, another diagram. Uh, cluster headaches typically have, like our gentleman here, excruciating pain on one side uh, they can have autonomic features such as watering eyes or swelling or a drooping eyelid, eye redness, a stuffy or runny nose, or sweating on that side, or a pale or flushed face on that side. So how did we treat this patient? Um, there's, in cluster headache, much like in migraine, uh, there's a couple different types of treatments. There's uh, prophylaxis or treatment to induce remission of the cluster cycle, and then there's acute treatment for the individual headache attacks. So for inducing remission or prevention treatment in cluster, we'll use prednisone, sometimes uh, occipital nerve blocks, uh, and then a number of different medications that are off-label, including uh, verapamil, plus or minus topiramate, uh, depakote or valproic acid, lithium, melatonin, kudzu, which is that stuff that grows on bridges in the south, uh, and then uh, galcanizumab, which is actually the only FDA-approved treatment for cluster headache. Uh, the important uh, journal article about galcanizumab came out a few years ago, shortly after it was uh, approved for migraine treatment. It was also studied in, in cluster headache, um, and this New England Journal article came out uh, about three or four years ago. Um, showing efficacy, demonstrating efficacy in cluster headache prevention. Um, so in that study, the number of attacks went down from, uh, in the placebo, uh, or in the treatment group, uh, was reduced by about eight attacks per week versus 5.2 in the placebo group, which was significantly different. Um, so it's definitely an important treatment to consider in patients with cluster headache.
for acute treatment, we use some migraine treatments, although they need to be fast acting. So for instance, oral migraine treatments like oral triptans don't typically work fast enough to be effective for cluster headache. We will use injectable sumatriptan or sumatriptan nasal formulations, uh, ergotamine, di dihydroergotamine injections or nasal spray and zol zolmatriptan nasal spray. Um, oxygen, high flow oxygen, meaning 15 liters per minute by a non-rebreather mask with a large oxygen tank uh, is what patients use for uh, acute treatment of cluster attacks. Um, I will actually order um, large oxygen tanks to be delivered to these patients' homes during their cycles so that they have rescue treatment at home. Um, unfortunately, this is not well covered by the CMS. Uh, this is an ongoing controversy and battle in the headache community to get this covered by Medicare and Medicaid, um, but that can be quite a challenge. Um, typically, commercial insurance companies do cover oxygen for cluster headache because it is so effective and safe. Uh, injectable octreotide is, has been used as an acute cluster treatment, although uh, this can be challenging for patients to draw up in a syringe and it self-administer. And then non-invasive vagal nerve stimulation, which is also approved for migraine uh, acute and preventative treatment, is also approved for uh, rescue treatment and episodic cluster headache and prevention treatment and chronic cluster headache. Uh, Sphenopalatine ganglion stimulation has been studied in the past. Uh, Ohio State was actually one of the study sites for this. Um, it was very promising data um, as both prophylaxis and a rescue treatment. Patients could actually use a controlling wand and, and give themselves a stimulation when they were having an attack. Unfortunately, the company went under, uh, and so this is in limbo right now uh, as to whether this uh, device will um, ever be uh, distributed to the public. Uh, there's a questionable role for spinopaltine ganglion blocks and intranasal lidocaine, which is a uh, rudimentary form of, of a spinopaltine ganglion block uh, for use in cluster headache. For treatment for the other trigeminal autonomic cephalgias, um, we mentioned that for paroxysmal hemicrania and hemicrania continua, there's endomethacin. We can also use other off-label off treatments that are sometimes used in migraine. Um, and then for Sunctin Suna, we use Lamotrigine, um, and then there are other, a number of anti-epileptic drugs that we use for treatment as well. Um, and for status Sunct, for someone who's in a refractory cycle, we will sometimes admit them to the hospital and use a lidocaine drip. For primary cough headache, this is uh, less common than the trigeminal autonomic cephalgias, but uh, is headache brought on by coughing or the Valsalva maneuver. Uh, maneuver. Uh, sudden onset, usually seconds long to up to two hours long. Um, these patients typically get a secondary workup to look for mass lesions in their brain. Uh, we image with an MRI. Um, they typically occur in older patients, and sometimes we use treatments like indomethacin and acetazolamide, both of which reduce intracranial pressure. Exercise and sex headaches are fairly common uh, That uh, conditions that can be uh, brought to a primary care's uh, attention, um, and they can be also associated with migraine. Um, typically, they occur during sexual or physical activity, um, and they can last between one minute up to 24 hours with severe intensity. These, these headaches also uh, merit intracranial imaging with an MRI and an MRA to rule out aneurysm. 
Um, we will, once secondary causes have been ruled out, we will try indomethacin or other NSAIDs prior to activity. Um, and you can taper that after a few months to see if it's resolved. We also can use propranolol as an option for prophylaxis. Numular headache or coin-shaped headache is a, typically it's an area of the scalp um, shaped in like a circle in the shape of a coin. Um, patients will kind of point to an area on their scalp where the pain is. Um, it's usually very sharply contoured, fixed in size, round or elliptical, and between one to six centimeters in diameter. Um, these could be challenging to treat. Uh, we try um, lots of different treatments like indomethacin, melatonin, migraine prophylaxis therapies, neuropathic pain medications, Botox, and trigger points injections. Primary stabbing headache is another common complaint to primary care doctors, again associated commonly with migraine. Um, used to be called idiopathic stabbing headache or stabs and jabs. Um, these are typically stabs of pains, uh, irregular frequency, can be anywhere on the scalp or head. Um, no autonomic symptoms with these, and we use indomethacin and other neuropathic pain medications like gabapentin to treat these types of headaches, um, sometimes melatonin as well. Hypnic headache is seen in older patients typically. Um, these will develop during sleep and cause patients to wake up. Um, they can last between 15 minutes up to four hours after waking. Um, again, they should not have autonomic symptoms or restlessness with them because that could point to cluster headache. The treatment for this is very fun. Uh, caffeine before bedtime. Oftentimes you get a very perplexed look from your patients when you tell them to have a strong cup of coffee before bed. Um, but it can work. It's the first line treatment. It's very safe. Um, you also can try uh, migraine preventative medications and medications like lithium, uh, gabapentin, melatonin. Again, notoriously difficult to treat like numular headache, especially if the caffeine doesn't work. New daily persistent headache is a newer headache syndrome that's been demonstrated in the last couple of decades. Um, it's a headache that starts one day. Patients typically remember the day and even sometimes the time that it started, and it's a continuous, unremitting headache within 24 hours, uh, and it can be present for at least three months. Sometimes there's a precipitant like trauma or infection. Other times we don't know a cause. It can last for months to years. Sometimes it typically will sputter out. Um, it will start as continuous and then eventually become episodic until it remits. Um, and we use, um, the, we treat the headache like the headache type it resembles, which is usually migraine with migraine treatments. Uh, there was one study looking at doxycycline and monilucast uh, that was shown to have benefit, um, uh, due, thought to be due to TNF-alpha inhibition. Other disorders uh, that are much less common include cold stimulus headache, which is uh, exactly how it sounds, headache that's caused by cold stimulus, the most famous of which would be ice cream headache, um, and then external compression headache, typically caused by someone who wears a hat frequently or a, a tight-fitting hat. And then primary thunderclap headache is very scary, um, pretty rare. Usually there's an extensive secondary headache workup with these patients to exclude aneurysm, subarachnoid hemorrhage, RCVS, which is re reversible cerebral vasoconstrictive syndrome, and to a lesser extent vasculitis. These patients typically get vascular imaging, intracranial imaging, and sometimes even a lumbar puncture, and even a cerebral angiogram. Um, there is actually controversy as to whether this is even really a primary headache disorder or not. Great. That was so helpful, Kevin. You went through a lot of different headache syndromes, so thank you very much. I know it was a lot in a short period of time, but 
You know, <clears throat> one thing that I remember learning about in medical school is medication overuse headache. How do you go about, <clears throat> excuse me, differentiating between a primary headache syndrome and a medication overuse headache? Well, that's a great question. So sometimes a, a lot of these patients with medication overuse headache have a primary headache syndrome underneath mm -hmm. it, um, mm. and they're overusing medications for that primary headache syndrome. So it really requires a lot of detailed headache history taking mm -hmm. to, to see, you know, do they have an underlying migraine? Are they over-treating that? And that's causing their underlying migraine condition to get worse, et cetera. Um, typically, medication overuse headache alone without an underlying primary headache syndrome is, is pretty uncommon. Okay. Um, now, in terms of prevention, do patients typically, um, be, are they typically able to stay on the same preventative medication, or can they build up kind of tolerance to the med and, and not be as effective over time? Um, sometimes there are certain medications in the treatment, particularly of migraine, where patients can develop a resistance to treatment over time. For instance, on a botulinum toxin can develop antibodies over mm, time, okay. uh, which can limit its uh, efficacy after even after a number of years of being on it successfully. Hmm, that's unfortunate. Now, Anna, how long do you typically have to try a patient on a treatment before saying it works or it doesn't work? That's a good question, and it really depends on what type of treatment we're talking about. So for the older uh, classes of uh, uh, prevention medications such as the antidepressants, the beta blockers, or the seizure meds, we like patients to be on them um, at least two months if mm -hmm. they're not having any side effects. That's the minimum amount of time that uh, um, most insurances would require for to move on to a more one of the more advanced treatments. But also at that point, we can see whether whether the medication is being effective of, or not. For something like Botox, we like to see two to three treatments back to back every three months. So an average of six to nine months for mm -hmm. the monoclonal antibodies would be about five to six months. So. Um, if a patient develops any side effects before that, that's an indication to terminate the treatment. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the program today. I've learned so much, and I'm sure our viewers have too. Now, we're going to finish up today's program with a final key point from each presenter. Anna? Yeah. So, um, just to finalize, I wanted to say that migraine is a very common, complex neurologic disorder. It's not just a bad headache. Um, it can be very debilitating, but we have now many therapies that can really improve the patient's uh, lifestyle, even induce remission on a patient. And the last thing is that um, always consider referring a patient to a neurologist early on to address the headaches, and that can really improve the patient's lifestyle. And Kevin? So other headache disorders are can be, some of which are very common, others are, are less common, but it's, they're important to consider um, and not all patients with migraine, or not all patients with a headache have migraine, uh, and you definitely should consider other conditions, particularly when severe. Thanks for joining us today. For our audience, you can receive CME credit for watching by logging onto our website and taking the post-test. Join us again next week with my guests, Dr. John Clamar and Kristen McNamara, to learn about oral pathology. That's all for today. Thank you for tuning in, and farewell until next time.